Welcome to a special interview episode of Broadway Radio. My name is Matt Timonini. On today's episode, I'm in conversation with screenwriter, librettist, and novelist Heather Hawk. Yes, she might have written the screenplay for Freaky Friday starring Jamie Lee Curtis and Lindsay Lohan. Yes, she might have written the screenplay for What to Expect When You're Expecting. And yes, she might have written the book The Trouble with Drowning, which I recently finished and absolutely loved. But for me and probably many of you out there listening, the greatest achievement of her life and quite possibly anybody's life is the fact that she wrote the book for Legally Blonde the Musical. If you know me or have been listening to Broadway Radio for literally any amount of time, you know that I had to get into all things Legally Blonde with Heather. But we did get together primarily to talk about The Trouble with Drowning, which is really a fascinating and expertly written book about a young writer struggling to deal with her own past, as well as the mental health issues that have plagued her for most of her life, and how her life begins to intertwine with a new boyfriend, her boyfriend's family, and then, once he becomes an ex-boyfriend, the woman that he eventually moves on with. The book is available now, and I'll have a link in the show notes to where you can purchase it. Obviously, since we are just two days away from Black Friday, it would not be a bad idea to either purchase this for somebody as a holiday gift, or to treat yourself to an absolutely engrossing read. Alright, with all of that out of the way, here's my conversation with Heather Hawk. So, Heather, I have to tell you, when I read the book, I was at times thrilled and excited and sitting on the edge of my seat and, and really kind of living vicariously through these characters. But then at other points, I was very uncomfortable, very nervous, very uh, a little even frightened. And as I looked back after I finished, I was like, even though there is one central character, you do focus on multiple characters and their perspectives throughout the book. And I kind of felt like I was getting able to see this pretty harrowing story at times from all different perspectives. I can only imagine what it was like to have to write those different emotions for everybody, but also to try to balance it in a, uh, in, in, in a narrative that kind of kept everything cohesive and told this, you know, pretty emotional and, and complex story. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, that's a, that's a great compliment. Um, yeah, I, I did want to hear from, I love books where you can hear multiple perspectives. Um, and frankly, I knew that just being inside Kat's head would probably make me also lose my mind because she's such a complicated character. <laughs> um, so I went with the third person omniscient just as a release valve for myself to get out of Kat's head constantly. Yeah, yeah. You you mentioned Kat. She is the, the central character. She is an aspiring writer who has a very complicated childhood, which she uses as the basis for a memoir that we kind of follow her through the writing and editing process during this book. And right. it overlaps with some very exciting, but then some also very harrowing personal developments uh, in her life as well. I'm always fascinated when whether it's in a book or on screen or on stage, when we dive into a central character who is also a writer, because you know that a writer is writing a writer. And that is uh, kind of an extra layer of either meta or at least insight into that process. When you look at, as you mentioned, character or a, a cat is a pretty complex character. And as you know, all of the promotional materials talk about, uh, this is a book that deals a lot with some uh, mental health issues where Kat is uh, concerned. When you go to write a character that does have at least some things 
related to to your own personal life and profession. How do you balance putting little pieces of yourself into that character with also making sure that it is a distinct individual separate from Heather, the real life person? Right. Well, you know, they say, write what you know. So writing about writers and about writing and about kind of exquisite pain of waiting to hear if someone will validate your existence and your reality as a writer is very hard um, and definitely takes its mental toll on every writer. So I wanted to really tap into that angst that I feel as a writer myself. Um, But yeah, Kat is definitely a troubled person and I've definitely battled with some mental (laughs) issues myself with OCD um, I have trickle telemania, which is where you compulsively pull your hair. And I'm no longer bald. I have a, I used to have a bald spot. I went to my high school reunion and the guy <laughs> said, I sat behind you in French and I always thought you'd had brain surgery. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> no, that was just me and my my problem. <laughs> so it, it's fun to get to exercise some of your own demons through characters and you can live vicariously through them. So I'm not as bad off as Kat, I didn't have her terrible childhood. Um, But it was during, I wrote it during COVID when I think everybody was felt like they were losing their mind. And it felt like the world was going over a cliff and I still feel that way. But it was a way for me to process the chaos that I felt and the anguish and confusion and all of it that I felt during COVID. It's a lot darker than anything else I've ever written, but I felt darker. Yeah, absolutely. And I I don't want to spoil anything in terms of what Kat's actual diagnosis is unless you unless you're comfortable with that. But I mean, I it kind of harkens back to my first question where I felt all of the emotions and what I thought was so kind of beautiful and um and insightful about the way that you wrote that character was that we go through all of her highs and lows and we see her at moments when she is ecstatic for very legitimate reasons, maybe also a little overexcited about things that uh, she's blowing Manic out of proportion. comes to mind. <laughs> there, I didn't, I didn't want to spoil it, but yeah. So, but I, I kind of loved the, the ebbs and flows of that story where not only are you seeing it from that third person omniscient perspective that you mentioned, but you do feel like you're living that. How are you, how important is that from any piece of literature, whether it's something people are reading or something people are watching to really show the audience enough to get them to buy in emotionally to what the characters are going through? Well, I'm thrilled that you felt that way because that's what I wanted to achieve. I wanted to grab the reader by the lapels and take them on this journey with her and her struggles with mental health and the mania and the ups and downs um, battling what she battles. And I really wanted the reader to feel viscerally um, about this journey and also to relate to Kat, I, I have, I loved writing Kat as much as yeah. she is flawed and does some very questionable things. I also have great empathy for her. And um, I hope that affection um, is relevant and, and you felt it. Um, I think we all have parts of, a lot of what this book is about too is duplicity, is um, about the d- hidden parts of ourselves that we don't want to sh- share with the world some of our deeper impulses and darker thoughts. 
And I felt like I got to live vicariously through Kat and also Eden, who is this resplendent person and um, a character that Kat gets very obsessed with. I think we all have had a feeling too of seeing someone else's life and feeling like their life is the life you want for yourself. And there's so much comparison going on in our society now online and it's just impossible to avoid and it's very negative and corrosive. And, and I was going to ask about that. You you mentioned Eden. She's a character we meet, I think, in the very first pages uh, yeah. of the book. And then she kind of goes away and is referenced for, for you know, a good part of the first half of the book. And then she comes back and it leads to those comparisons that you talked about with everything that we are seeing now with social media kind of devolving even further than it already was, uh, you know, prior to a certain person purchasing a certain uh, social media platform. How is that kind of exacerbated some of these issues that we see not only in real life, but with fictional characters to where some of those, whether it's the manic depressive side of things or just the insecurities that every human being faces, how does the world that we are living in that is so much on a little phone in our hands kind of changed that from the way that maybe we would have looked at it as a kid, you know, when we were younger and, and just done the normal comparisons with the people that are just around us. Now you have to do it with literally every single person in the entire world. Right. Yeah. It's, it's so much information. I mean, now we get to go into people's homes, you know, we get to see what their bathroom looks like for God's sake. You can pair your bathroom to someone if they, you know, send a, a, a post something. It's just, it's all predicated on, making us feel like we're not enough and that you've got to keep up. And it, it you know, it, it, it's, it's so interesting to, to raise a, a, I have a teenage daughter and we literally saw her mental health kind of almost instantaneously upon getting Instagram crater. Um, it, it's just impossible to avoid all the comparisons that we can make and how much we can peer into people's lives and, you know, they're in the business of selling you products because inevitably these products are about you're not enough. You know, you've got to fix something about yourself. We're constantly in this loop of, um, you know, self-help and at, at what cost? Sometimes I think a lot of, you know, the very uh, things that we're clinging to to provide solace and answers are also just completely perpetuating the sense of inadequacy that we all feel. It, I wasn't going to necessarily go in this direction, but you you kind of talk about this sense of inadequacy, maybe being uncomfortable with who you are as a person and in a lot of cases in your own bodies as well. That, of course, leads me because I'm of a certain generation to think of a Freaky Friday, where even though that is a much different thing, like you said, the trouble with drowning is a much darker story than uh, maybe you've written in the past. But Freaky Friday kind of deals with some of those same ideas in a much different way, of course, but yeah. Kind of the messages and the and the emotions are the same. Absolutely. No, it's about thinking that you understand someone's life and realizing you don't know anything. Um, that is a really universal story that I think is really interested. I'm really interested in exploring. And I hope some of the comedy that I brought to all my other projects is still in mm -hmm. the trouble with drowning. It's hard for me to avoid that completely. Um, but yeah, the 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 sense that we're always comparing ourselves in our lives and, and where are we at in this 
you know, great experiment. And how's it going? And usually we're, we feel <laughs> we're failing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So sometimes more, uh, more of a failure than others, but, um, the, the, the conversation was always going to end at this point at some point, but you, you kind of mentioned the idea of whether you are enough and comparing yourself to other people. So I, I have to just put it on the record. People who know me know this to be my truth and at the center of much of my entire personality. But, uh, I think legally blonde is the most criminally underrated musical in the history of the American theater. So, uh, there are some and I of, agree. Yes, of course. And, Don't get me uh, started about, you know, the critics and <laughs> oh, we can. The, you know, the fact that it goes on and it still is touching a new generation. And she's just such a magical unicorn of a character. And I love the music. I love, I love, I love the show so much. I feel like it's a, a baby of mine. I mean, and, and it is. I mean, it, the fact now that we are going on, I mean, I guess it's a decade and a half now um, yeah. since the mm -hmm. show premiered and it is still getting done. I mean, I probably see different productions of it advertised across the country, maybe, I mean, like every other month, you know, just in, a, in an area yeah. where I am, you know, in, in my general vicinity. Um, what is it about Elle? And obviously this started with the movie, but specifically the musical version of Elle. You mentioned the music itself um, it, from, from Nell and Larry is is great. But what is it about that version of Elle that you think has resonated so much with people who might not even know the movie exists when they see the show on stage? Right. It Well, Elle Woods is the ultimate you know, underdog, unlikely underdog. I mean, she has everything yeah. and yet she doesn't and she doesn't know her own worth. And I mean, it's, it's kind of revolting. I mean, she follows her ex-boyfriend, ex-boyfriend to college, mm -hmm. um, which by the way, is something that I did as well. Oh. And guess what his last name was? Oh, was it, was it Huntington or? or... No, Elwood. Oh my God. <laughs> it was fate that you got this gig then. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally relate to Elle. I mean, I've been underestimated a lot. Like when I first showed up to do stand up comedy for the first time, and then they said, Oh, are you here for your boyfriend? I was like, No, I'm here oh. to perform. So I've definitely had that, you know, associated with me my whole life of people making an assumption based on my appearance. And my blondness. So I definitely related to Elle, but she's so positive. That's what's so great about her. And that's what I think is her secret sauce and why she's so relatable is she just always sees the best in others. And I think we all love to believe that we can tap into this access, this greater side of ourself to elevate our entire life to the next plateau. And I, she is just the most joyful, wonderful person. I love getting to be with Elle Woods for years and that she's still a part of my DNA. Yeah. Do you ever go out and, and just watch a, a regional production somewhere? Yeah. Yeah. I get to go. Sometimes I go speak or see local. Yeah. And it's just so much fun. And I had to watch it over and over and over and over and over. And I never got sick of it. I just, I just love the show. One of the things that 
I, I you kind of think comparing Legally Blonde with the trouble with drowning is the fact that Elle kind of she had friends, but she kind of did it on her own in a, in a lot of ways, uh, didn't have a, a mentor to kind of go through. And as I was right. reading the trouble with drowning, we, we meet Carol, who's a character that is a, a mentor in some ways and might be a little bit too close, uh, in some cases to cat. Did you have a mentor either in a, you know, in a way that was like Carol or, or somebody at least equivalent who helped you at least when you were get started or maybe even now, even today? Um, you know, I, yeah, I love Carol and, I saw Connie Britton. That was who I envisioned. Oh, well, that's about as perfect as you can get there. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, the the characters in The Trouble with Drowning are really, really loosely based on someone I used to date, actually. Um, mm. And Jess is based on my friend Rachel, who was on the track team at Arizona when I went to Arizona. And Jess is a coach, is a coach at Arizona as yeah, well in the book. Yeah, she was on the track team. And um, I did date her older brother, who <laughs> I will say that Chris is not as good looking as Jacob. But um, OK, OK, good. But their um, mom uh, was a professor at Arizona and a writer. And I just loved her. And the whole family was just very, very dynamic. Like the brother did play jazz, bass jazz mm-hmm. and with Sting and then the Another sister was is married to Steve Kerr, the head coach of um, of course, Golden yeah. State the Warriors. Warriors. Yeah, yeah, and so it's like this really, really, really dynamic, magical family. And I think I like the family almost more than I like Chris, uh, who's based <laughs> on the Jacob character. But I love the idea, and that I had this idea back in Arizona thirty years ago when I was a student there. But I really love the idea of falling in love with the family, and I was. You know, I have a really, really solid, wonderful family myself, thankfully. And but I thought, gosh, if you started dating someone and you fell madly in love with the family and it ended, that would just be so devastating. And I thought mm-hmm. that was such an interesting kind of character insight. Um, and I, you know, Chris also didn't really have the skill that everyone else had their like special talent. And I thought that was a really interesting characteristic to be the one in the family who doesn't have their special something. One of the things that I found so kind of compelling about this book is, is that we did get to see so many different people at different points in their journeys. We kind of talked about Kat's journey uh, a, a little bit, both personally and professionally. Jacob kind of is going through his own journey to kind of figure out what his thing is. You talked about, you know, kind of with Chris, um, everyone else in his family knows what they're doing. Jacob is trying to figure that out. And when we meet Eden again, when she comes back into the book, she's doing really well professionally, kind of struggling a little bit personally. And I loved the fact that as we bounced back and forth, like we said, with the perspective of each character, we were able to kind of pick up everybody at different points in their journey. And as you look at them and as you you kind of start to fit the puzzle pieces back together and uh, no spoilers again. When I kind of realized where Eden's puzzle piece was going, I my jaw was on the floor and I was nervous because I knew what that was leading to. But as you start to fix that, put these pieces together, how do you balance people who balance characters who aren't at the same place bouncing into each other and, and, and trying to figure out how they fit, even though they are, in some cases, light years apart in their own evolution? Right. Well, that's the chat. That's, that's the conflict, right? Yeah. Is having that 
that tension between all these characters and what they represent to especially what Eden represents to Kat. Um, it's everything she ever wanted. I mean, she is who she wants to be, you know? And I, I think that that, again, the theme we were talking about earlier of just projecting this perfection onto someone else's life is so damaging and corrosive to souls. And it was a cautionary tale um, against doing just that. You mentioned a cautionary tale. And as you said, this is a darker kind of story with with light in it as well. And I, I hope that we've kind of communicated that, that it is a fun read nonetheless. Um, but it does not have the the neat and tidy messages and summations that Legally Blonde or Freaky Friday do, obviously by design as well. But as people are reading this book, you've talked about all of the difficulties in, in the real life kind of situations that are born from things like this. But is there a message to the book? I mean, it's not the, the like I said, the neat and tidy moral that you would get in some of the other things. But but what is the message of the trouble with drowning? Uh, that's a good question. I, I think ultimately the message, there's several messages um, about, you know, things that we've talked about with don't compare yourself to others. But it's also a big cautionary tale for don't try to take your mental health into your own hands. Mm-hmm. Um you can't, you, when you need professional help, you need to get professional help. And there are lots of systems in place to help people struggling with mental health. And people get into trouble when they start to diagnose themselves and not take their medications. Um, you know, get the help that you need is one of the big messages of this book. And also Eden is sort of a uh, an empathetic, um, I don't want to give away the ending mm-hmm. at all, um, but she is our better angels. And I, I, there's a huge message too about just the duplicity that we all feel as people, at least that I do. Again, don't want to give away the ending at all, but maybe I can cut this out if you don't want me to say this, but like there are threads left unresolved at the end of the book. Yeah. Is there more to this story? I mean, there's obviously more uh, to the story. Yeah, is there, I've got a... Uh, I got a sequel all worked out. Okay. <laughs> I started right actually, but I realized I started, I stopped because I was like, well, this is really presumptuous of me to start writing the sequel when no one's <laughs> even asked to order the first one. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm waiting to see, but I do have it all figured out for this, for the sequel. Okay. Well, we, we need to get you a, a deal for that one. Cause I'm, uh, as soon as I, finished that last chapter i was like okay well now i need to know what happens next because it's a little yep. too juicy not to leave explained or to leave unexplained i know so. i left i left the door open and um yeah it doesn't have the summation the the bow at all which is more like life i mean yeah. there aren't these symbol clap you know moments of complete divine intervention and and truths are revealed and it's messier than that life is messy People are messy. Relationships are messy. And that's a big theme of the book, too. Mm-hmm. You you have obviously written for both stage and screen. You mentioned Connie Britton is who you had in mind as Carol. Did you have anybody else either as just like the physical version of the other characters? Oh, yeah. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy as Kat. Okay. I can see that. Yep. Yep. And um, Jacob Elready. Is that his name? Or Elrod or something like that. Yeah. 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 The guy who's playing Elvis, the new Priscilla. Yeah. 
Um, and then for Eden, Taylor Swift, maybe. Oh, okay. I think that fits. That fits. Right? Yeah, yeah. she's creative and brilliant and beautiful and uh, likable and, you know, kind. I don't know. I like that. Yeah. That would be a good cast. She could be Cat, too. Yeah. I, well, and I, I, what I like about her as Eden is that Eden kind of seems to have, at least in, in the book, this very natural um, grace and and comfortability to her, where yeah. I think the fact that we've known Taylor Swift vicariously through her, you know, her work for decades now that we just kind of know her as a normal person, even though she is one of, if not the biggest superstar in the entire world. So I, I do feel that connection with her and, and Eden there, yeah. which just kind of seems natural and effortless, even though it obviously isn't for anybody. Right. I mean, her songs are about heartache and about yeah. pain often. I mean, not only, but I, a lot of people project, I mean, how many people want Taylor Swift's life, think she has the perfect life, the perfect everything. And she struggles just like everybody else. And not dissimilar from Eden, who is a success right. professionally, but is still, I mean, and again, I kind of like Taylor Swift too. She, her success was built on trying to work through her pain through her through her art and her writing. So, uh, all right, right, I think you've cracked it. You can you can not only write it, you can also cast it. You can do all of it. You want to direct it too? Uh, do uh, that. No, I just want to cast it. I, I <laughs> it's out to producers now. We'll see. I think it'd make a great okay. limited series or movie. So we shall see. But um, oh, I love it. That's I love casting conversations. Like I love casting everything. That's great. I love that. Well, um, I'll wrap it up and maybe we can throw in some casting on this as well. It has long been a dream of mine, and it sounds like maybe potentially one of yours as well, is is to see a full-scale, huge revival of Legally Blonde again. Yes. So that so that now with the hindsight of like, oh, this really is a masterpiece, maybe those critics either will get it or it won't matter as much if they don't get it. I, I've been around the block long enough to to know that you probably can't answer if there is anything going on, but... Where do you stand on on wanting that to happen? Is there a good time for that? Is there um, something in your mind that would make that happen or make that work um, as to when and where and who it could potentially happen? Um, uh, it's there is like there's always kind of a a buzz about it. I think it's yeah. going to happen eventually. I think maybe they're waiting for. I'm not sure. I mean, I would love to see also a movie of the musical. Um waiting for Legally Blonde 3 to come out. Um, mm. But yeah, I think that it's got to come back to the stage. It's so relevant. I mean, we've gone through Me Too now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, how she was abused by Callahan. And um, it's more pertinent than ever. So I would love to see it. I don't know who would be the most ideal. Is, is Dove Cameron, is she too? Yeah, she might be in her mid to late twenties at this point, but she reads, she reads young enough to be just out of college and going to law school. I think that's great. Yeah. Right. If that does happen, I will obviously be there. I also think you talked about maybe a, a potentially a movie. I'm still waiting for whoever paramount or whoever to release the high quality version of the one they did on MTV on a streaming service or something. Cause wearing it out on YouTube, is it the same as watching it in a, uh, in HD that I know they've got hidden in a vault somewhere. Right. Oh, that'd be great. And they, I know that MTV got insane ratings for that yeah so the audience is there i i just don't understand what the holdup is and i don't know it, I, I it's got to happen at some point because 
it's joy. It's just a wonderful joy ride. Yeah. From your mouth to Elwood's ears, I suppose. So um, <laughs> either way, well, thank you so much for talking about this. Like I said, I, I love the book. I, I love the yeah. uh, I love the show, obviously, and am already excited for either a revival or a sequel to The Trouble with Drowning, whichever comes first. And hopefully we get both of them in the not both. too distant future. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Well, happy holidays. Uh, and thank we will have you, information on where everybody can get the book. And, uh, and hopefully when the next one comes out, we'll get a chance to talk about that one as well. It's great. It's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, favorite bookstore, um, bookshop.org is another great one. Um, but I love this conversation and thank you so much for your, for loving the book and for your great questions about it. <laughs>